It's Thursday, March 7th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The FDA this week approved a controversial drug to help treat depression, and it's the first new antidepressant to be greenlit in decades. It is a nasal spray branded as Spravato, made by Johnson & Johnson, and it is very similar to the drug ketamine. The benefit of this nasal spray is its fast-acting impact on depression symptoms. Peter Loftus, reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us for more on this new drug. Next, phone numbers are quickly becoming the new social security numbers. Your mobile phone number is becoming the primary way for tech companies like Facebook to identify users and secure your accounts. Think two-factor authentication. Scott Rosenberg, technology editor at Axios, joins us for the big problem. Your phone and number are increasingly being used like access keys, and how often do you want to give that information away? Finally, R. Kelly has broken his silence on the latest sexual abuse claims against him. In a nearly 80-minute interview he did with Gail King from CBS, R. Kelly denies all the allegations, says everyone is lying about him, and plays the victim claiming he has too big of a heart. It is an explosive interview and my producer Miranda joins us to break it all down. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. And then there's also these, what you might describe as trippy effects that it can cause something that they call dissociation, which is like colors seem brighter and you feel somewhat of a detachment from reality. Joining us now is Peter Loftus, reporter for the Wall Street Journal, focusing on the pharmaceutical industry. We're going to be talking about this new drug that the Food and Drug Administration just approved. It's the first antidepressant to be greenlit by them in decades. And it's a nasal spray called Spravato made by Johnson & Johnson. It's closely related to the party drug ketamine. Tell us a little bit about this new drug. Ketamine actually is a drug that's been around for a long time, and it does have a, a medical use as an anesthetic. And so it's approved for use in people, but also used by veterinarians for animals. And as you mentioned, over the years, it began to be diverted, not for therapeutic use, but for party use. And it had nicknames like vitamin K or special K. And so at some point in more recent years, researchers began to study ketamine's use to treat depression. And so that is what eventually led Johnson & Johnson, one of the big pharma companies, to develop a version of ketamine. It's, it's very, very closely chemically related. It's called S-ketamine, and the brand name is called Spravato. They ran a bunch of tests over several years to try to demonstrate that this was effective in treating people with depression, and primarily people who had tried other treatments for depression, and it wasn't really helping them. So the thing with this is it is a nasal spray, and the reason why it's so important now is because it's very fast acting on depression symptoms. One of the things that I didn't really realize is that other antidepressants like Prozac or things like that, they actually take weeks, sometimes months to really kick in in a patient. So this helps with the immediacy of some of those symptoms. And the FDA approved the use of this to be taken in conjunction with those other things. It's not like a total replacement. That's right. Yeah, they approved it to be taken with an oral antidepressant. So pills like Prozac and Zoloft, which are based on an older mechanism of action. And you're right, it takes roughly six weeks for those pills to really start to have an effect, if they are even going to have an effect on a patient. And this is for people with treatment-resistant depression. What does that mean? It can mean people who have tried these older pills like Prozac and Zoloft and it didn't really work for them, or perhaps even people who 
who have tried psychotherapy, and it, it doesn't seem to be making them better. Now, the FDA says this new drug, Spravato, could be an option. And, and as you mentioned, it can be an option that in studies, it, it's something that can have an effect within hours as opposed to having to build up within the system over, over several weeks. The numbers are pretty large. Three to five million Americans suffer treatment-resistant depression. There was mixed results with the clinical trials. What happened there? The way they, they designed these trials was to give some people an older antidepressant plus esketamine and then compare them with people who did not get esketamine but were just taking an older antidepressant. And so what they found was a couple of the studies showed that the, the combination did lead to an improvement in symptoms versus the control group. But in other studies, there was really no significant difference. And so that kind of presents a complicated picture, and it's something that the FDA had to wrestle with. And you mentioned the advisory committee meeting. They routinely, for a lot of new drugs, will bring together a bunch of outside experts to kind of go over the clinical studies and to make a recommendation to the FDA. Is this something that the FDA should approve? And they voted 14 to 2 that the benefits of this drug outweighed the risks. But the dissenting votes, they had concerns about the safety and just the fact that there wasn't as clear of a consistent benefit across all of the studies as you might like to see. On the safety front, there's always concerns that people could abuse these new drugs and it is a nasal spray, so it's a lot easier to carry around. But that's not how it's going to be distributed. You have to be at a clinic where they'll administer the drug there with you know whoever's monitoring you and they monitor the person for you know any side effects. And then uh, I guess after, after the uh, waiting period, <laughs> then you can leave. So it's not like they're actually going right. to be giving people the nasal spray to carry around. Having this requirement that it be done in a clinic serves a couple purposes, and one of them is to try to guard against diversion to illicit use, you know, people who are just using it or trying to use it to get a high recreationally. But it also serves the purpose of keeping the patient in an office, either, you know, a hospital or a clinic for a couple hours after the dosing, because there are these side effects that can take hold within that first hour or two, like sedation, so drowsiness. So they don't want people taking this, feeling drowsy, getting behind the wheel their car. They want a little bit of a cushion time. And then there's also these, what you might describe as trippy effects that it can cause something that they call dissociation, which is like colors seem brighter and you feel somewhat of a detachment from reality. And so these are things that they want patients, if they're going to have these side effects, supposedly they just, they, they generally go away within an hour and a half or two hours. And so that's why they want them sitting in an office and not just doing this at home or out and about. How much is this going to cost? With the dosing that they recommend, you take this a lot for the first month. Like you would go into a clinic maybe two or three times a week, I believe. And the expected first month cost is somewhere between $4,700 and $6,700. And then after that, the dosing can become less frequent so that it would be between $2,300 and $3,500. That's the list price. The company, Johnson & Johnson, expects that there will be insurance coverage. So if that pans out, then the patient's share of that cost might not be as great. Peter Loftus, reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. cell phone is this great new security device. It will become like your keys. And that's all fine, except a telephone number is something that you hand out freely to people if you want them to call you. But now suddenly it's also your keys that you're giving them. Joining us now is Scott Rosenberg, technology editor at Axios. We're going to be talking about your phone numbers. Cell phone numbers have become a primary way for tech companies like Facebook and others to 
identify users and secure their accounts. There's uh, always this two-factor authentication. A lot of times you got to put in your phone number. They'll send you a little code to prove that it's you. And in some ways it's becoming the new social security number. I already try not to give out my number as much as possible with these types of things because I'm scared of getting endless robocalls and these texts (laughs) now. So I just connect the two in my head. I don't even know if that's true, but I just try not to put my phone number out there as much because of that. you anyway, right? Yeah. But, so tell us a little bit about this, how this is increasingly becoming the normal where they want your phone number. Just as the social security number wasn't intended to be used for all these other purposes that we use it for now, whether it's uh, filing taxes and getting health insurance and all, all of that, the cell phone number was originally just this thing that people could dial to reach you as with an old-fashioned landline telephone number. And what happened, and because tech companies don't really have a secure identity system. The internet doesn't have a real identity system built into it. We're all living these lives of managing a million passwords and struggling to authenticate ourselves and and make these systems understand that we are who we say we are. And the cell phone became this kind of magic device when the companies realized that we now carry, most of us carry it with us all the time. It's pretty clearly secure to us. You have to unlock it to access it. And so they figured, okay, the the cell phone is this great new security device. It will become like your keys, like a set of keys that we can be used to authenticate you to Google and to Facebook and to whoever else. And that's all fine, except a telephone number is something that you hand out freely to people. If you want them to call you, you're going to give them your phone number. But now (laughs) suddenly it's also your keys that you're giving them. And really when it kind of became tethered to us even more, obviously we always have our phones with us now, but when Congress mandated that you could take your phone number from one provider to another before you had to get on all, all new phone number, things like that. So now you carry that number for many, many years. And as you're saying, you log into your Facebook with your phone number and all these other social platforms with your phone number, it increasingly is your key, your access to all that stuff. Facebook itself was just in the news with a big problem with their phone numbers, specifically with the two-factor authentication. Can you explain that to us a little? So Facebook is asking more and more people to use two-factor authentication where you give them the phone number and they check when you sign in. They also send you a code on your phone. And that's good. That helps keep the account secure and it's basically a good thing but some people don't want to give facebook their phone number and they don't want facebook to post it publicly they don't want people to be able to find them on facebook using the phone number and some of those people were upset to find that they had given facebook the number for two-factor authentication for this sort of security reason and then people were finding them by looking them up with the phone number and for many people maybe that's not a big deal who cares but there are plenty of people in situations for personal or political reasons who might not want to be identified and facebook doesn't actually even give you a way to opt out of this you can limit it there are little controls that you can set that will limit who can find you but you can't entirely get rid of this feature. And that has caused a lot of criticism. Scott, give us the bottom line on all this. A lot of the companies are already doing it. We've already have our phone numbers out there. What's the best way to protect ourselves with this? Well, I don't know that there is any. You cannot use Facebook and there's no one 
making anyone use Facebook. So that's always an option, but it's not that reasonable an option for most of us, given how there are 2 billion people using Facebook. And it's sort of the dominant mode of communication right now for many purposes. There's also this sort of longer term view, which is that right now you authenticate your phone with usually with a passcode of some kind. But that's changing already. Uh, the newest iPhones use face recognition. A lot of phones use the fingerprint. And these are all called biometric identifiers. And that's clearly where the industry is heading. So at the point that your phone is biometrically secured and linked to you in this extremely specific and spooky way, you you're not going to be really be able to opt out very easily from from this whole system. It'll be like today if you said, "I don't want to be on the internet." You know, you, know, you could do it. You yeah. could live your life that but, way, but it would be it'd really be pretty hard. hard. Yeah. And in the meantime, we just have this irony now, where you know, as we use our phone numbers more to unlock things, the more we're going to be less willing to share them, and that's the whole purpose of your phone number giving it out is to connect with people. So we're going to have to be living with yeah. that for a little bit. Scott Rosenberg, technology editor at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. I didn't do this stuff. This is not me, y'all. I'm fighting for my life. Y'all killing me with this. I can't help 30 years of my career. Robert. 30 years of my career. Kill me. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda. R. Kelly is going insane right now. He's been in the news a lot lately. He's been in trouble. He just was in jail just this past month. Chicago prosecutors have charged R. Kelly with 10 counts of aggravated criminal sexual abuse. Three of the four of his alleged victims were underage when the suspected crimes happened. He's pleaded not guilty. All of this kind of resurfaced after Lifetime rolled out a six-part docuseries called Surviving R. Kelly, where they interviewed seven of his accusers, former members of his inner circle. All of them said that he preys on women and young girls. We know about the history that he's had. He was indicted for child porn counts. He got off on all that stuff. He's uh, settled out of court with a lot of women for you know him saying that he sexually abused them. But all of this has been out in the news lately. And as I said, it all culminated again with this Lifetime docuseries. So he went to jail last month. He got out on bail. And this is the first interview that he did with Gail King on CBS. What happened, Miranda? To say that it was explosive would be an understatement. Wow. I yeah. have never seen anybody outside of like a Jerry Springer stage lose their mind like this. It was really something spectacular to watch. Gail and King spoke to him for nearly an hour and a half on Tuesday. A portion of it aired on Wednesday and they're going to be rolling out bits and pieces of it through the rest of the week to get a little bit more of the story. And essentially it all boils down to everybody's lying. It's a big conspiracy <laughs> against right. him. Why would he have women chained into a basement? He doesn't know what a cult is. And all he wants to do is make music and see his kids. Gail King, for her part, was getting a lot of praise because she kept her composure. Maybe she didn't ask or push back too much on him, but you don't need to with the reaction he gives. Yeah, there's this big picture where she's sitting down calmly in the chair and he's standing up with his hand and his finger pointed in the air. And you can just see the anger and the frustration that he has. That's a face of fury. Right. Later on, they even asked Gail King, were you worried he might hit you or something? She said, I was never afraid of him. I was just afraid I might get caught in the crossfire because right. he makes eye contact with the camera at one point, And that's when he goes crazy. 
Let's play a couple clips. This is his answer to why all of the allegations, all of these women have the same story, why they're all coming after him. You can start a rumor on a guy like me or a celebrity just like that. All you have to do is push a button on your phone and say, so-and-so did this to me. R. Kelly did this to me. And if you get any traction from that, if, you, if you're able to write a book from that, if you're able to get a, a, a reality show, then any girl that I had a relationship in the past that I, it just didn't work out, she can come and say the same exact thing. When asked if he blames social media for the resurgence of all these rumors, as he calls them, he's not blaming social media, but he wants to point out the power of social media. And Gail King made a good point. Why do all these different women who don't know each other have the same story? And that's that's where he says, you know, it just takes one to throw the story out there and everybody can make up the same exact thing. Things took a turn. He was getting very heated. Gail King asked him, did you have sex with any underage girls? He denied all that stuff. And this is the point where he loses his mind. He stands up. They have to take a break in the middle of his rant right now. This is this is incredible audio. Stop it. Y'all quit playing. Quit playing. I didn't do this stuff. This is not me. I'm fighting for my life. Y'all killing me with this. I can't have 30 years of my career. Robert. 30 years of my career. Y'all trying to kill me? You killing me, man? This is not about music. I'm trying to have a relationship with my kids, and I can't do it. Y'all just don't want to believe the truth. You don't want to believe it. At this point, we briefly pause the interview to give Kelly a moment. His publicist helped calm him down. I hope this camera keep going. No, we're gonna. This let is the not true. This is not. Doesn't even make sense. Why would I hold all these women? It's actually kind of a comical moment because they did pause the cameras. And when they come back, the makeup team is patting him down because he's like sweaty and so worked up. His manager is like rubbing his back. Yeah, they had to calm him down. It's just an insane story. Here's the last clip I want to play because he paints himself the victim in all of this. I need help. What kind of help? This is the kind of help I need. Yes, what kind of help? I need somebody to help me not have a big heart. Because my heart is so big, people betray me and I keep forgiving them. Not that I want to be quoting Michael Avenatti, but he is (laughs) representing two of the women that are accusing R. Kelly of this stuff in the latest part of this. He says that R. Kelly's tears are out of fear and despair. He knows that after over two decades of sexually abusing underage girls, we blew this wide open and we have him and his enablers dead to rights. And I mean, I have to say that rings true. It's it's mm-hmm. a man who's nervous about what awaits him. R. Kelly, right after this interview, is back in jail again. Yeah, he was taken back into custody yesterday afternoon after appearing at a child support hearing. He owes $161,000 in back child support, and he came to the hearing ready to pay 50000 but the judge wanted the whole amount. And he said that because R. Kelly doesn't have the whole amount, he's got to go to jail. R. Kelly says he's not able to work because of the documentary. And saying at the end of the day, the kids still don't have any money. So his next hearing is scheduled for March 13th. And the story is going to continue. CBS has more of this interview. They have interviews with the two girls he's in a relationship with right now who say that they are there willingly, although their parents say they're brainwashed and part of his sex cult. Mm-hmm. So the story with R. Kelly will continue. Thanks, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, 
give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.